హార్టీ ఫ్రెటర్నల్ గ్రీటింగ్స్ అండ్ గుడ్ విషెస్ టు ది బ్రదర్స్ అండ్ ది సిస్టర్స్ జరింగ్ ది లాస్ట్ వన్ మంత్ బిఫోర్ కమింగ్ టు యూరోప్ మెంబర్స్ ఫ్రమ్ జర్మనీ సటన్ క్లారిఫికేషన్స్ అబౌట్ శ్రీవల్లభాస్ స్టోరీ యాజ్ ఈజ్ రికార్డెడ్ ఇన్ ఎన్ బుక్ ఐ సెడ్ ఆల్ దట్ ఈస్ రిలేటింగ్ టు శ్రీపాద శ్రీవల్లభ ఐ షెల్ ఆన్సర్ జూరింగ్ ది సెమినార్ విచ్ ఈస్ meant for it so during the last three sessions we had some understanding of lord dattatreya and his incarnation as super shivalabha to start with so i request those who would like to seek clarifications may kindly proceed and ask and i will try to answer how to use it what is the meaning deeper meaning of it of course there is a translation but it just has the song the gandhava the gandhava the gandhava the gandhava this uh, is also very often mentioned in the book and there's some explanation given but could you please uh, comment on it how to use it or what is the way to to use it this is a call digambara digambara likewise you also hear about rama about krishna these are called dhunis ధ్వని మీన్స్ ఏ కంపోజిషన్ విచ్ కెన్ బి రిపీటెడ్లీ అట్రాడ్ యాజ్ ఎ భజన్ ఆర్ మే బి లిజన్ టు త్రూ ఏ క్యాసెట్ ఇట్ కెన్ బి ప్లేడ్ ఆన్ అట్ ఆల్ టైమ్స్ డ్యూరింగ్ యువర్ మార్నింగ్ అండ్ ఈవినింగ్ రొటీన్ అట్ హోమ్ లైక్ హరే రామా హరే రామా or Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Either there are many dhunis for every deity. We call it a dhuni, they do it sometimes together for 24 hours, sometimes for together for 7 days. When it is done for 24 hours, it is called ekaha, meaning it is repeatedly attracted so that you you continuously relate to shripada shivalabha and sometimes they do it for the, for 7 days it's a matter of relation 
through a rhythmic sound, which comes from basically an initiate. Like that there are dhunis relating to Durga, relating to Lakshmi, relating to Shiva, like Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya. So this is a tradition. Every deity to relate to him through a song which is easily utterable. This is considered. This is Digambara, Digambara, Sripada Vallabha, Digambara. Digambara is one of the names of Lord Shiva and Lord Dattatraya. Digambara means they are permeating the whole sky. Permeating. Dik means direction. East is a direction. West is a direction. North is a direction. South is a direction. There are four directions, literally. And then there is a direction up above, a direction down below, and then there is a center. So, the one who permeates in all these directions through the mid-air, through the mid-air, is the, whom we call the one who has dik as ambara, meaning the directions are his clothing. The directions are his clothing. Therefore, the sky is said to be the clothing, all that you see around the horizon is said to be his clothing and we are within the egg of the deity that we are relating to. It's a process of building a shell around you towards east, towards west, towards south, towards north, up above, down below. Then you join all these directions. It forms into a shell, a egg. Within that egg we stay and we keep on uttering the sound so that everything within and around you is filled with that energy. For that reason, these repeated chantings are given which are called dhunis, dhuni, d-h-u-n-i, dhuni. And Digambara, as I said, is the one who permeates all around us. He is all around us, we are in him. And Sripada Vallabha, you know, Digambara, Digambara, Sripada Vallabha, Digambara. It is not Sripada, Srivallabha, Digambara. It is Sripada Vallabha, Digambara. That's how this Dhuni is. It is repeatedly we are relating to him. That's how it is. Like that there is Sri Ram, Jai Ram, Jai Jai Ram, there is a Dhuni. Hare Ram, Hare Ram, Ram Ram, Hare Hare. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare. It's a Dhuni. Likewise, you also hear Jai Ma, Jai Ma, Jai Jai Ma, like that for the mother. And uh, similar Dhunis are there. Every deity has a Dhuni. Because every deity in India is conceived as the, the fivefold one. In the sense, he is male-female permeating all. He is omnipresent, omnipotent, omniscient. And he has the triple qualities of the three logos. That's how every deity is worshipped. 
సో వెన్ యూ రిలేట్ యూ ఆర్ రిలేటింగ్ టు త్రూ ఏ పర్టికులర్ డైటీ టు దిస్ ఫైవ్ ఫోల్డ్ ఆస్పెక్ట్ ఆఫ్ డివినిటీ ఇన్ ఎవ్రీ హౌస్ హోల్డ్ యూ హ్యావ్ వన్ ధుని ఆర్ జదర్ దట్ ఈస్ ప్లేడ్ ఆల్ ది టైమ్ దీస్ ధునీస్ ఆర్ ఏ లెస్సర్ వర్షన్ ఆఫ్ ఏ మంత్ర ఫర్ ఎగ్జాంపుల్ గాయత్రి ఇస్ ఏ మంత్ర గాయత్రి ఇస్ ఏ మంత్ర దీస్ ఆర్ ఏ లెస్సర్ వర్షన్ విచ్ ఆర్ ఈజీలీ అటరబుల్ అండ్ దెర్ ఆర్ నో ఇంటర్నేషన్స్ ఇన్ ఇట్ యూ కెన్ కన్సీవ్ ఎనీ ట్యూన్ టు ఇట్ అండ్ కంటిన్యూ టు కీప్ సింగింగ్ ఇట్ దర్శవ్ దిగంబరా దిగంబరా శ్రీపాద వల్లభ దిగంబరా ఈజ్ వన్ ధ్వని దట్ ఈస్ గివెన్ ఇన్ రిలేషన్ టు దత్తాత్రేయ విచ్ ఈజ్ రెగ్యులర్లీ చాంట్ లైక్ వైజ్ ఆల్సో చాంట్ అనదర్ ధ్వని రిలేటెడ్ టు దత్తాత్రేయ హాజ్ శరణం ప్రపద్యే వాట్ ఇస్ శ్రీపాదరాజం శరణం ప్రపద్యే శ్రీపాదరాజం శరణం ప్రపద్యే శ్రీపాదరాజం శరణం ప్రపద్యే ముని వీ ఆఫర్ అవర్సల్స్ టు శ్రీపాద రాజా రాజా మీన్స్ ది కింగ్ ది కింగ్ హూఇస్ కాల్ శ్రీపాద we we surrender and live in his shelter under his protection under his guidance and we seek to be illuminated under his direction like that this dhuni is also very famous shri padarajam saranam prapadye shri padarajam saranam prapadye shri padarajam saranam prapadye there are no intonations in it it's a song if it is gayatri there is an intonation as you all know om bhuvasvaha om tat savitur varenyam bhargo devasya dhimahi dhiyojona prachodayat there is a, a high tone a low tone and a middle tone with which a mantra is uttered but a chanting is a, a lesser version which has also an impact and this is a matter of a facilitating relating to the deity through which you would like to get yourself trans, trans, transformed and get into a state of transcendence that's it right. what is the meaning of the number 16 because the father uh, remained at the age of 16 years 16 is a very important number because 16 are the phases of moon from new moon to the end of full moon 16 phases are counted we have the 15 phases plus no no moon it is 16 phases these 16 phases uh, there is a gradual formation of light increasing light and by full moon end of full moon there is the full light and then again there is a decreasing moon phase of 16 so it is said to be a number that leads you to a gradual unfoldment to the full light that's why in the sri vidya in mother's worship there is a, a mantra called sodashi meaning 16 syllable mantra it is given as an initiation 
in four different steps. And this Rama is said to be a youth of sixteen years. Krishna is said to be a youth of sixteen years. Mother is said to be a, a virgin of sixteen seasons. Like that everywhere the sixteen appears only to indicate the sixteen gradations of unfoldment of light as it happens from the new moon to the full moon. That's why you have sixteen moons as the crown of the mother in their, in their ascending order and descending order. So as you worship the deity, a gradual unfoldment is recommended but not sudden unfoldments. Sudden unfoldments have an impact on the on the personality. There can be some aberrations. There can be certain disturbances. Therefore, this has sixteen steps of unfoldment. Is an age-old tradition. We also have what you call sixteen step of worship, which we call Shorter Shopacharya Puja. Even when you worship a deity, you do sixteen services to the deity. So like that everything is conceived in sixteen. It is a, it is a school of thought by which there is a gradual unfoldment from being state of no light to the state of full light. That's how it is. You already commented this morning about the Parikas a bit. There's this great importance about the gold in Parikas. Also, we place 30 Adam leaf under the space of his bird, and the Siddhas will be, and the book will be placed in its subject form. And could um, you comment about these uh, dimensions of? Um, placing Parikas there for this uh, uh, golden Parikas and uh, uh, there's another question related to it which will come to the The other question is in this place there is the Aurumbara tree and uh, under the earth there is the bell is that there is a bell flying around The last part is, what is about the snakes? Extract poison. Okay. 
First about the about the golden feet being there thirty feet down the center where the apparent feet are there. It's a vision that one initiate God and uh, it is expressed by Him. No one has dug the place and uh, seen whether there is golden processes or not. It is. It is the vision of an initiate who located the place. The Sripada's birthplace was lo- was uh, re-lo- was located by an initiate called Vasudevananda Saraswati, who is also called Tembe Swami. People know that uh, Sripada lived in Pitikapura, but no one knew where it was. In, in which part of the village it was. When this Tembe Swami, when he visited Pithapuram, that happened actually 40-50 years ago. Before that it was known to be the birthplace of Sripada, but which exactly is the house, no one knew. So he is the one who, by his inner vision, Located the place and then uh, said that this is the place where Sripada was given birth to and this is the place where he grew and this is uh, going to be a global center, that is his vision. So in turn with he himself has uh, set an Audambara tree there and he has set uh, the stone padukas and said down under there is uh, there are golden padukas, meaning the symbols of the feet, which carry the the conch and the wheel. In India, there are many such uh, places where, in relation to great beings, uh, down under the earth, uh, things are preserved. Whether the golden padukas are there or not, no one has dug and seen. But then it is believed because it is said by a great initiate. Most of you may have seen the movie of Shirdi Sai Baba. The Shirdi Sai Baba also, once it so happened, there was a controversy about him. If he is a real initiate or he is a fake initiate, there was a discussion in the, the village of Shirdi. So there they had to there was a contest by people that he is a, a fake uh, who has come here to to exploit the people. But there are a few who said he is not a fake, he is a, a true initiator. One very old lady of the village, she says, I know Sai Baba when he was a child, he was living here. We may not be knowing him because it's long, long ago. And he was staying under a, a tree. Under a tree and doing penance at a very, very young age. From fifth year he went on doing penance. And by sixteenth year he left the place and he returned. And when he was doing penance, la, many... Uh, Images of light were coming out of him and they were getting installed down under the earth. 
down under the earth. And she said, if you want a proof, I'll take you to the tree where he meditated when he is a, a young person, a, a, when he was a boy. If, if you dig there, you will find, even today, under the terror, terra, under the earth, you would see four lamps still and flaming, in full flame. So they dig open, it happened in the, the end of last 19th century. And to the entire village was present. They, they have done the job of digging the earth. And down under they found a, a slab, a slab of rock. When that was removed, there was a chamber. In that chamber, there were the four lamps, still very much uh, in flame. It was a great surprise. Then, the, then Baba comes and says, why do you open that? It is my Gurusthan, he says, my master's place. It is my master's place, please close it. That's how there is an event. Like that you find uh, many places where down under you have, uh, in a subtle form, divine things existing. It is there all over the globe. That's why certain, in certain places there are better vibrations for growth in comparison to other places. Eventually they become important places. Normally down under lot of Nagas, meaning the initiates in the form of snakes, they live. For example, healing center, which you, are, you may have all visited in, near Vishakhapatnam, where we built a healing center. It is also a place where down under there are certain things which are envisioned. This vision is a, is a subjective aspect. And the impact of the place affirms the, the truth of the vision. Mostly, for example, if you see Varanasi or Banaras, they say it exists in seven layers down under the, under the earth. Seven layers. Madam Blavatsky says, India as such has seven layers on it. And there are subterranean paths connecting various important pilgrim centers. So this subterranean, subtle uh, formations, they are all open to persons who, who have gained etheric vision. So that's how there is the belief, because Vasudevananda Saraswati stated that the Padakas do exist there, the original scripture relating to Sri Pada is also there. These are all the visions of an initiate. No one has opened the earth and saw them. That's how it is. Okay, I mentioned in the book, were they in charge of the nature? They are mentioned in the book, no doubt because Indians, they don't hesitate to write anything in the book. <laughs> they, 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 they do not so much care uh, for it to, to, appeal to, to appeal to the mind of the reader. They, are, they do not worry about the mind aspect because there is the mystical aspect 
which is available only at the institutional planes. So those who accept it, they accept it. Those who don't accept it, they don't accept it. So they do not pay much attention to it. That's why they boldly write about these things. A very bold writing would be there like this in many many books, not only in Sripada. If you ask for proof, you cannot get any proof. For example, in Sri Salem and in similar hill ranges, there are so many Nagas which are described. If you go there, any particular place, they say there is, here, is, here under there is a Naga. He has, he, the serpent is 30 feet long. He has a jam on the hood. These things are very commonly spoken. Just as we speak about the daily global events on the surface of the earth. Subtle things are not hidden, they are said openly. It is for each one to find the truth of it by his own contemplation. There are people who get into contemplation and affirm it, and there are always skeptic people who do deny it. Nevertheless, everything is kept in that manner. That's how it works. All the stories about Nagas relating to Paranayasab Swami is also like that. They do exist. The Nagas do exist. Even today, there is a place called Kurtalam in south of India, where there is a Swamiji who is connected to these Nagas and he speaks a lot of things as like prophetic statements which eventually come true. And uh, if you read the book relating Kurtalam, Swami, Kutralam Swami, you find so many stories of Nagas. So these Nagas is a common phenomenon in India. In the sense, those initiates who prefer to take to a serpentine form and live down under to relate to the divine through penance, they do a lot of penance. Once in a way they spring up to the earth and they carry out some benevolent acts and again get back into their uh, subterranean regions. <coughs> That's how you have Nagarjuna also. The Nagarjuna who is very famous for his alchemy and for his knowledge relating to uh, various aspects of wisdom. He is considered to be a Naga who emerged in the hill ranges relating to Sri Salem. He gave vistas of knowledge and again, once again, retreated into the original subterranean region. From where they emerged, from how they again disappear is not known, but the works are available. They carry out the works and those works continue to benefit the humanity. That's how the Naga aspect is very high. There are many Naga cults around the central India called Ujjain. There are Naga cults in Nagaland. There are Naga cults in a, every hill range. It is there in Blue Mountains. It is there in Eastern Ghats. It is there in the Western Ghats, Western Hill Range. There are many places like that. So, these stories related to Paraneswami, they are all the happenings during the Western Hill Range where there is a temple for Palani. That's why, to the west it's a matter of inquiry. To the east, it is, it is in the psyche that they believe it, that's all. 
ఫర్ ఎగ్జాంపుల్ మేడం లెవెస్ కి షీ వెన్ త్రూ మెనీ ఎక్స్ప్లరేషన్స్ అండ్ అడ్వెంచర్స్ ఇన్ ఇండియా అండ్ ఆల్ దోస్ షీ రికార్డెడ్ ఇన్ ది బుక్ ది కేవ్స్ అండ్ జంగిల్స్ ఆఫ్ హిందుస్థాన్ నార్మల్లీ వీ డోంట్ బిలీవ్ దట్ వెన్ యూ గో ఇన్ టు ఏ కేవ్ దట్ దట్ కేవ్ లీడ్స్ యూ ఇన్ టు ఏ పెలేషియల్ సబ్టెరేనియన్ రీజియన్ దట్ ది కేవ్స్ ఆర్ ఓన్లీ ఎన్ ఎంట్రీ డోర్ అండ్ ఇఫ్ యూ నో ది సీక్రెట్ to open the inner chamber of the cave most of these caves they lead you into very wide open palatial chambers where you have different uh, dimensions of um, light and they they have their, their walls are studded with gems diamonds and all kinds of precious stones and there are beings who live there if you st- if you study the story of lahari mahashay uh, relating to kriya yoga he was also led into a cave like that in himalayas so these are things which are uh, which are there but it is for those who are fit to get into that etheric understanding those are the ones who find the ways into it all the caves of the masters are not like open chambers they you have there is a there is a way to enter into those caves through and only those who have the required body developed in them can only find the way into it so like this this paranay swami's uh, incidents and this is subterranean padukas these are all believed because they are set to set by initiates number 1 and number 2 the man who says what was he in his life also decides whether it is a fake statement or a true statement for example when vasudevananda when he states something it is taken as an, as an authority because he did so many supernatural acts during his lifetime and he could also initiate many into the path of dattatreya when such people say there is an inherent tendency to believe and then proceed with it that's how some of those which are not generally said not really provable are also are also there in many books and sripada's book is one of them foot of the father the father took a knife 
die Hände des Sun zog das Kerl auf den Sun, Justin zu Block, die aufgeräumten Worte, nannte, this was an act of Dharma, because the father's duty was to culture the land as a farmer, and his only care for doing his duty, and there is no less act. And when this act, Krishna saw this act being done, in June, that this is the Dharma Chetra for true Chetra. This is the field, the right for the Dharma to be conducted. If you go to Mexico, in all pyramid places, there you find a very huge hole, a very huge hole. When there are no when there are no rains, the Mayans, to please the sun god, they used to conduct a ritual and throw their their babies into that bottomless pit as a sacrifice. The Mayans were not cultivators; they were only accepting the crop as the earth gives without cultivation. Cultivation is of recent origin. During the olden times there was no cultivation. So they were offering life as a matter of sacrifice for general good, for general good. And they were, they were the mothers were competing. I offer my child, I offer my child. It was ghastly to listen now, but it was the tradition in Mayan. Most of you may not know the origin of this basketball. You know how basketball has come to be? If you go to, again, the nation of Mexico and visit the places of pyramid, there they used to have play a game of basketball. The idea is the winner offers his head for a sacrifice. The winner offers his head for sacrifice. If today that is the game, no one would like to win because we would like to save our heads. But in those days, offering life or general good was an extraordinary dharma, an extraordinary dharma that you offer your head for the general good. So like that there was, that's how the basketball game came to be. Uh, the person who wins will gladly offers his head in a, his head in a sacrifice for the general good of the community. And it is generally done four times a year. And there were players who were showing enthusiasm to participate in such a game. To participate in such a game. And if in a place called Chesanitza, there they have an animal called Jaguar. Mexico. Jaguar is seen as a, an animal that helps salvation of the beings. Whenever a sacrificial rite is to be carried out, a person is prepared for the ritual and the jaguar comes and attacks 
directly at the heart and takes the heart away. And a person willingly offers his heart to be taken away by a jaguar, keeping the general good in mind. These are the dimensions of sacrifice in olden times. There are many stories relating to Dvapara Yuga, Treta Yuga, where to, the, to men it is more important to, up, to uphold the general welfare than to save one's own life. Saving one's own life is seen as timidity. Offering life as the general good is seen to be an extraordinary dharma. Like that there were kings who offered their farm, their, by their flesh and blood. There are seers who have offered their um, <coughs> themselves. They have also offered their progeny. Progeny. So this is seen, and today it, it seems to be a very ghastly act. But they had much more belief in the super mundane world than as than we carry today. Today, to a super mundane is something which is interesting to listen, something interesting to study. But uh, a super, to walk into super mundane life, tremendous sacrifice is needed. And in those days, to them, life is secondary uh, to dharma. Offering life for dharma is seen as a very, one of the noblest acts by which the soul makes strides of progress in his evolution. For example, you also have the story of Socrates. Socrates was asked either to leave the city of Athens uh, or stop teaching the doctrine of truth as he was holding with him. Whatever Socrates was speaking was acceptable to the learned people, was acceptable to intellectuals, was acceptable to all reason. But he was promoting a kind of freedom which is dangerous for those who govern the state. So the, the governors of the of Greece, they once requested him to attend to the court, to the court of administration. And they, they pleaded upon him not to speak of those doctrines in public places, it, becomes, it, it gets unrest. It gets lot of unrest. So therefore, please don't do it. But if you think you should necessarily speak out what you know as truth, he may please go out of Athens and do it elsewhere but not here. Because it is creating a law and order problem. Socrates, Socrates said, to uphold truth is better than saving my life. I therefore remain in Athens because I am born here. I am brought up here. I gained all my knowledge here. I therefore stay put in Athens. I stay in Athens and I am not worried the consequences of my speech because I know what I speak is truth. So therefore it is for you to decide what to do with me. I would continue to speak the truth and I would not leave Athens. Today, if that such a situation exists, 
people go on exile. <laughs> Even before they are sent on exile, they themselves migrate to some other place. Socrates was, to him, to be with the truth is more important than to be with life. Therefore, he offered himself to the governors, do what you like. So they have poured mercury into him and he died then and there. But still, to him life was a secondary thing. When you speak of Dvapara Yuga, law was predominant, life was secondary. Upholding the law was primary. Uh, upholding life for the sake of upholding life and abandoning law was seen as suicidal. It is, a, it is the, such was the understanding of the past where the, the situation is those who believed in law stood by the law at any cost, at any cost. There are stories where a man sacrificed the entire family, including himself, to uphold the law. And then there are rewards for it, which are also mentioned. We have similar stories recorded in Mahabharata. So it is not very new in the earlier time cycles. It is very new today because we are in Kali Yuga and to us saving life is as most important. We don't mind sacrificing a principle to save our life. But it was not the case in the past. To them upholding the law would lead them into better states of existence, better states of awareness, than stay, abandon law and continue to live in the body of flesh and blood. Living in body of flesh and blood is not seen as a great facility. Living in a body of light is what is seen as a facility. Therefore, people were, those who were following the law, to them offering life to uphold general good which I was speaking to you as the universal action, Vishwakarma, was much more predominant among the righteous ones. So therefore this farmer, for the general good of the village, if the, if the crop doesn't have water or if it is flooded, the entire village sustenance is at stake. So therefore he offered, he did this act which is in those days, very calm, very calm. It so happened that many times I narrated this story. I also narrated to you once or twice in the West. There were two brothers who were doing penance. Two brothers who were doing penance in a forest. They were living by whatever the forest gives as fruit or as leaf. They were not plucking anything. They are living by it and doing penance day and night, and they were procuring some fruits and they were keeping in their separate tents. They had two different tents, like huts. And when they feel hungry, they eat. Other times they are in meditation. It so happened that um, one day the younger brother, he felt hungry, and he, when he went into his tent, he did not find anything to eat in the tent. So he went into elder brother's tent. He found some fruits there. He has eaten the fruits. 
came back and was meditating, but it was haunting in his mind that I that I ate the fruits from my elder brother's tent without his permission. So he waited till the elder brother came out of the penance. Then he explained what happened. The elder brother said, it's okay, What's, what is so big about it? You felt hungry, you took the fruit from my tent. It's okay, don't bother about it. But the law was such that you cannot eat some other's food. You cannot usurp some other's property uh, without having adequate authority or permission. So the younger brother said, what I did was wrong. I did so because I was hungry. That's why I want you to give me some punishment. Unless you punish me, unless you punish me, my conscience will carry this guilt and I cannot continue with penance. The elder brother tried to persuade him, but the younger brother did not accept. He must give me an appropriate punishment for my unauthorized entry into your tenant, into your tent, and eating the fruits belonging to you now without your consent. Then the brother said, elder brother said, I am not an administrator to give judgments and punishments. I am not an administrator. I am someone who is trying to relate to the divine. Therefore, I do not judge you. If you want a real judgment about this and an appropriate punishment for this, you may kindly go to the king of our kingdom. You go to him. Go to the kingdom. And inform the king what has happened. And whatever punishment the king gives, you fulfill that punishment, then you are out of the guilt. That was the, he said, that's the law, he said. Only the king should punish. He, he only has the authority to punish. I don't have the authority to punish. So the younger brother went to the kingdom, explained the episode to the king in the royal court. The king was surprised to listen to this episode, that what kind of brothers they are. One brother is willing to take punishment for a a small misdeed and he is insisting upon it and the other brother, instead of punishing himself, he sent the younger brother to the king for punishment. They are very special beings. So he wanted his ministers. In every king's court there are novers sitting as a jury. So he referred the matter to juries. Please let us know what kind of punishment I should give to this subject. They said, this is a very unusual case, we have to refer to the books. So they arranged for this younger brother's stay in the, in the, in the royal chambers and in the meanwhile the juries came out, went through the, the books of law and next day when the court was arranged, the king asked the juries, jury, 
What is the punishment that the book of law says? The book of law, the jury said, it's a, the punishment is too harsh. I, we cannot, we cannot express. You may pardon him, they said. He may pardon the subject. The king said, I, if I pardon him, I would be out of law. Because as the king, I must administer the law. So please let me know what the law is. Then the jury, they, they express for such an act, what the, the law says, the person's hands should be cut. The two hands must, must be cut. They must be cut. That's the punishment. It's now up to you, the king. If you wish, you do it. If you don't wish, you can pardon him. We have the authority. Then the king said, I have a... He has a discretion to pardon him. But the subject did not agree. He, had, he also had the punishment according to the book. He said he offered his two hands and requested the king to take away the two hands. And he said, I, I don't need the hands for my penance. Please give the punishment at once so that I go back and do my penance. So the, the king arranged for cutting off the two hands. And gladly the fellow walked back to his hut in the forest. The elder brother was waiting for him. The elder brother was waiting for the younger brother. What could have been the punishment given to his younger brother? So he saw his brother walking with the two hands cut with some ointment, some herbal ointment applied to it so that they don't bleed. The, the, the younger brother came with a smile on his face. Now the punishment is over. I can happily do my penance. I can happily contemplate. There is no guilt consciousness. Then the elder brother hugged him and said, you are really, you are really unusually spirited one. Let us go and take bath in the river. Thereafter we shall restart our penance. So he took the younger brother along with him. They, they went into the river. They dipped together. When they came out of the river, the two hands have come back as before. This is a story recorded in Mahabharata as an event that happened in Dvapara Yoga. Such is the spirit in the olden days to uphold the law, to be righteous, not, not speak lies for every silly things and simple things. The conscience, if you wish to keep it very clear, they were doing such acts where law is primary, life is secondary. So I was speaking to you about the, the law, which is called yajna, that your life is worth living in so far as it is for others. So this is how the, the sacrifices were very common in Dvapara and Treta Yuga and not so very common in today's life that a man offers his life for a noble cause. 
today the soldiers do it that's why soldiers have they make great strides for the sake of the nation they are regularly exposed to some dangers at the borders and frequently there would be firing and people die for a noble cause to die for a noble cause he is considered to be on par with to die consciously a yogi departing from the body and a soldier volunteering to die in a war they are equated according to the law they stand on the same par they stand because why should he lose his life for such a stupid decisions of the governments the soldiers who fight they are willing to offer their life for a cause of their nation which is decided by the governments whether right or wrong a soldier is willing to offer his life that's why a soldier a yodha is called a soldier is called a yodha or a warrior a yodha and a yogi they stand on the same footing when it comes to the next incarnation they take to a, a great stride progress and evolution in their uh, onward movement that's how it is therefore offering the head of the child is uh, is only for the larger good it, it, it demands tremendous sense of sacrifice because a son is no other than you it is your own reflection to to offer the son means to offer the most dear thing the most dear thing to a man is his son and to offer him for the sake of the general good he is seen as a great act and the both the father and the son got immortalized got immortalized so that's how the the place was selected where when a war is being fought it should be fought on a ground where there is already a precedent of extraordinary performance of a dharma so the war of kurukshetra was a great war where it was all fought only to uphold the law the fight was between relatives between father and son between grandfather and grandchildren if you say this is my grandfather i don't fight with him then it doesn't work so to uphold the law such a vibrant place was needed therefore krishna decided that the war be conducted over there the dharmas are different in different yugas and in kali yuga we are in the lowest ebb of dharma lowest ebb of dharma to us dharma is sacrificed for a little advantage in the past dharma was upheld to to see that the conscience is is guilt free guilt that's why jesus also speaks many times repent 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 only through repentance and acts of rectitude by which your conscience gets clear until your conscience is clear you cannot really make any progress therefore rectitude and repentance are the two important dimensions when a mistake happens and men were 
trying to be alert in upholding dharma natural it is it took a long a very descriptive answer but to drive home the spirit of law that's how it is There is another story which was talking to some of the there is a significance in denying uh, blessings if if those two men had touched the feet of sripada they would not have been able to sustain life in the body they would uh, they cannot take the vibration and contain or sustain it you know from the teachings of master kutumi and master maurya that they all wish to they both they wish to appear to us but if they appear to us we lose our sight such is the vibration of their being master maurya very specifically informs in some one of his letters as also master kutumi that they would like to give their appearance to us but they do not do it because their their very sight would blind us and the vibration we may not be able to sustain and we may even lose life so may even lose life that's why master maurya says we slowly introduce ourselves to you that they show a finger or a thumb or they show certain parts of them as you as your vibration uh, gradually evolves to accept a very high vibration until then the appearance of the divinity is not given out of compassion not out of refusal <clears throat> out of compassion it is not allowed that you 
get nearer if you get nearer you get burnt that's the reason why he said uh, their vibrations need to get a lot of change and eventually he did not totally forever deny them he gave a way by which they could ultimately come up to him that's how the seers many times they they do deny for the present only ensuring the safety of the persons for whom the denial has been made as gradually they improve upon their vibrations then they are, they, they allow them to come nearer be in the proximity or touch the feet or some such things it is a matter of the degree of vibrations that the high beings carry that uh, by our sight of them and much more by the touch of them we lose there are many cases where there is a divine revelation and the men go crazy <clears throat> men grow crazy crazy when there is a divine revelation to them and it takes time for them to get back to normals that is because their vibrations are not appropriately prepared to sustain a divine presence that is the reason why he denied them for that life and also told them how he would eventually bless them that is how it has to be understood when this act was done by sri pad ఇంకా and then there is ficus tree where you get the energies of second lagos of synthesis and there is banyan tree where you get the energies of the first lagos that's how the trees are identified in relation to their vibrations with a particular divine vibration coming to avadambara tree it is seen as carrying the energies of jupiter the and uh, dattatreya is essentially a, a, a guru uh, vibration and therefore avadambara is is associated with guru system all those who follow the the path of any guru they treat this avadambara tree as sacred and then avadambara tree provides the necessary jupiterian vibrations and the purpose of jupiter is to cause gradual expansion of consciousness 
దట్స్ హౌ దిస్ ట్రీ ఇస్ నార్మల్లీ కెప్ట్ ఇన్ ది హౌసెస్ బై పీపుల్ సో దట్ దే మేక్ రౌండ్స్ అరౌండ్ ఇట్ దే సర్కాంబులేట్ ఇట్ అండ్ దే ఆల్సో స్విచ్ అండర్ ఇట్ అండ్ దత్తాత్రేయ హిమ్సెల్ఫ్ సేస్ మోస్ట్లీ మై వైబ్రేషన్స్ యూ కెన్ కాంటాక్ట్ నియర్ అన్ ఔదంబరా ట్రీ ఫర్ ది సింపుల్ రీజన్ ఇట్ ఈస్ ది ట్రీ దట్ క్యారీస్ ది జూపిటేరియన్ వైబ్రేషన్స్ దట్స్ ఐడియా ఆఫ్ దిస్ ఊదంబరా ట్రీ purpose of the book is to awaken the consciousness the purpose of the book is to awaken the consciousness and the conscience of the reader it directly appeals to the conscience and not to the mind as such there are many such books in india the appeal is to the the conscience of the person there may be no there may not be a logic but you know yeah this seem to be sensible but how it is sensible you cannot explain because it causes a kind of an unfoldment in you and you feel comfortable relating to that episode it gives such a great comfort to the inner being and for that no logic can be attributed logic is only up to a point it helps you there is later on it is in all intuitional things have no logic in it but slowly in due course of time logic is developed in relation to intuitional uh, activity so this book appeals to the intuition which is the the higher consciousness in you and you feel this is this is so good this is so fulfilling this is so nourishing this is so charming and uh, enjoyable i would like to reread read it again this kind of a thing comes because it appeals it goes over your mind beyond your mind into your buddhic and intuitional planes and directly appeals to it that's why the book remains like that there are books written about krishna like this there are books written about many initiates like this where you, the very reading leads you into a a a state of presence and a state of expanded consciousness this book is essentially belong to that category of books in india which do not appeal to the mind it appeals to the intuition of the person and they these such books are given with no claims that is another thing the authors do not defend themselves in the modern world if a book is written if a book is written the author has to defend himself 
against any attack relating to the book. But if you see the writings of Master Jalko, he wrote through Madame Blavatsky and he said, the contents of this book may be accepted if they are agreeable to you or may be thrown out as fiction if they are not agreeable to you. It is for you to decide. I have nothing to defend it. That's the style in the East. The Eastern style is, what I experience, I speak out. What I experience, I write out. And I, I have, uh, I don't take to the stand of defend, defending the, the work that we do, because it, it does not. It is my experience. It's my experience, and I thought I would share it with people, and therefore I give it out. We accept it, well and good. You don't accept it, equally well and good. That's how it is. So this book comes under that category. If, if it appears to your conscience, you feel good with it, you can relate to it. If you don't, you can satisfy That's the type of book. There are many writings like that, including the writings of Master Jalkul. There are so many things in the books of Master Tibetan which are not provable. They are not provable. He said it because he said, I have walked into greater measure of light, therefore I say these things. You accept it or you leave it. There is no discussion about it. There is no contest about it. There is no such thing as Bailey or me defending the book. We don't do it. So this book belongs to that kind of a category where certain things which are very tangibly experienced are placed out, which do not, which are, which are not appealing to the mind, but which appeals directly to the inner conscience. That's how these books come to be and they stay, they stay to inspire. That's how it works. You read the autobiography of Yogi. You may have read the autobiography of Yogi. Many things are not provable because there are his experiences, he just recorded them. So there are things which say a person experiences and most of them are not provable. So if it appears to a fellow soul, a fellow being, it's, it's well and good, it helps. If not, it's okay, like that. That's a, that is a, a very dispassionate way of presenting things. Just one last thing. The examples you gave as people following the path of the Tatraya, they seem from an exoteric point of view freaks. Running around nature, from the ground, uh, I am not saying that all of them are like that. I am only saying 
there are certain mysterious uh, dimensions relating to dattatreya where people do not care they do not disturb the system but they they, are, they stay out of the system they stay out of a, a social system without disturbing that system number 1 number 2 they they continue to inspire people but they do not follow the norms the norms that uh, generally in a civilized society people follow but that does not mean there are no normal beings who are in the system and also accomplish the uh, the, the grace of the satriya that's right it is it is upon our side okay there is one question which was asked by mail maybe she has not turned up in your questions that is uh, a part of the being being in others <laughs> hmm? you have asked it yes this is uh, when you know the science of vibration so it so happens you can narrate the story so that i can that yeah please so there are two stories in the book where the father explains that the soul takes to various incarnations at the same time. One of the stories goes the uh, Brahmins of the town try to expel again the family of the father and his uh, grandfather at the cost of Russian things the father is at a prayer and it cannot be. And they uh, caused uh, the family in front of a court where they wanted to start a discussion with him of the family and the father. And one uh, Ram was the leader of this discussion um, was there and there was also Uh, a shoemaker Kotlin, and his wife who were very devout people of the uh, father and the wife had wanted to offer shoes to the father and she said I will give my skin uh, to the father and when um, when a cow in the house of the Brahmin died she made and the father appeared she made shoes and then she gave the shoes to the father in front of this Brahmin assembly the father uh, said do you believe that the soul can incarnate in different persons and then he said no in the scripture they don't say so this is impossible and then the father smilingly told to him you have incarnated in the three wives of you which have died they were part of your funeral part but they have now gone to this young lady of the Kabla at the same time a part of your male part is incarnated in this uh, cobbler, the shoemaker. 
and one part of you has been incarnated in the cow. Now tell me, are you a Brahmin or are you a Shudra? In this moment, this uh, shoemaker died. And the Holy Family saw how the soul came out of the body of the shoemaker, came into the body of the Brahmin, and fused uh, together. And then the father said, Are you a Brahmin or are you a Shudra? You are a Shudra. Now you are not a Brahmin by your behavior. You will stay together now with the wife of the cobbler who died, because this is a part of together, and you go on worshipping me outside in another uh, town uh, with um, taking her as your contract, but you will not touch her in this life, but in the next life you will be married. And the shoes which have been made uh, by the wife said that it would be uh, her skin was true because the part of him was incarnated in the cow. This was the one story. Hats off to you, but you remember these stories so well. Uh, I don't, those who do not, who, who haven't seen the book, to them it looks like something totally out of gear and out of hand. <laughs> The, the, the essence of this, uh, what Sripada said, is that there is multiple residence relating to a soul, multiple residence. A soul, a part of its... In, in, in scriptures so there is uh, uh, an understanding that the personality is also, since it is born out of the soul, Personality is seen as part of the soul. Every every human being is a triple, as I say, the master in you, the soul in you, and the personality in you. These are the three dimensions. That is a, that is fairly clear to all of us. We are there. Our personality is there. Our our behavioral nature, and the master is there in us. So these are the three brothers in one. That's how it is said, three in one. The, the, the Lord in you, you are there, and your nature is there. These three, three, three are seen as the three parts of the only, the, of the soul. Three parts of the soul. So personality here is referred to as soul. See, it is a common experience that when we say certain people, in our life, for no reason we feel very, very, very intimate to them. Very intimate. We cannot explain how it is, why it is. Certain people when we meet, we have an instant repulsion. These are all aspects of personality. Likewise, there is a, 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 an aspect of Tremendous attraction. For no reason you are attracted to that person. For no reason. And sometimes it looks awkward that why are you so much attracted to the other person? There was no previous interaction. There is no known uh, experience, inter 
But there is that kind of an attraction. This attraction and repulsion are seen the aspects of the personality which is but the mutable soul, that is what we call in the Indian scriptures, mutable soul. There is a mutable part, there is an immutable part. The immutable part remains as one entity, one identity. The mutable part takes to multiple uh, residences. The mutable part, not the immutable part. So when it comes to the soul, Yudhya, when it comes to the soul, there is no such thing as Brahmin or Sudra or businessman or a king. Soul is soul. The attributes of being a Brahmin or a uh, a kingly class or a business class or a residuary class is in relation to personality. Personality only carries those attributes. Soul is resplendent light. It has its quality as love, light and will. So the reference in the story, the riddle is solved to you. The moment you see what is referred to by Sripada is to the personality of the soul but not the soul as such. Because in Indian scriptures, we speak of the personality as a mutable person. Sharapurusha. He keeps on changing during the life and also life after life. A part of us keeps changing. There is an immutable part which is in the soul. There is a mutable part, there is an immutable part. And there is a higher power, dimension which is the basis for the mutable and immutable. That's why we are three in one. There is a mutable part in us, there is an immutable part in us, and there is a source from which the two have come to us. So this mutable part can take to multiple residences, not the immutable part. That's why he has a liking for that Brahmin, he has a liking for the wife of the shoemaker. He knows that he has a like. He is a Brahmin and he is doing all rituals and worships and is respected in the society. But whenever he sees the wife of the shoemaker, something vibrates in him. Something very with much affinity, there is a vibration towards. Why? Because. Such things happen due to past lives, past associations. And on account of that, the personality vibrates in concordance with another personality. That's how the cow, is it the cow or the bull? Okay, cow. (laughs) The cow, the lady and he, in three parts, his personality is residing. That's why he has a, a, an inexplicable, illogical liking towards a shoemaker's wife. That's, such things do happen. So, Sripada could see it. That's why he solved the riddle. Don't go by the personality. Don't go by the personality and decide that this is this, is this, this is this, this is this. If you see the personality aspect now, a part of your personality is animal, being a cow. A part of your personality is a shoemaker's wife. That is what they call sudra. 
and a part of your personality is brahmanical these are the three parts of your personality we do also have very extreme tendencies in our personality there they can only be correlated they can only be correlated by your understanding of your past life otherwise you cannot understand there are certain beastly instincts which get stimulated when a in a certain situation and we ourselves are surprised how it is like this so there is a beastly part in him there is a sudra part in him there is a priestly part in him in his personality so now you say are you a brahmin are you are you a beast are you a sudra is it question sripada makes so the whole reference is to the personality aspect of the soul which is also called mutable soul in indian scriptures chara purusha it is called we we say mutable part of us the personality as chara purusha the immutable part is called a chara purusha and then there is the source for both of them called purushottama purushottama three parts in us for this you can refer to the 15th chapter of bhagavad gita where lord krishna explains how a person exists in three dimensions he can be in integration with the super soul in him he can be functioning as soul and as personality so the personality part is ever changing so it can take to different uh, uh, a part of us lives in someone in whom we have deep interest that's how sometimes a man who is married for no reason gets connected to another lady you cannot explain for no reason likewise vice versa it happens some of these situations cannot be explained without the aid of the past lives past lives not all people can narrate not only initiates can see and they do not generally narrate but here sripada wanted to fix this brahmin who is is going he is blowing himself beyond the proportions crossing the borders so he has shown to him don't you have these vibrations in you there they use the word spandanas if i remember well in the book they use the word spandana spandana means the vibration the vibrating and the pulsating principle he feels inexplicably magnetic pulsations when she sees when he sees that lady for nothing he doesn't know why likewise a relation with the cow a relation with someone someone's wife so this you have to see these are all part of your personality therefore you cannot say that uh, when you have this kind of multiple personality you cannot question the doings of others because they too have similar things they too have similar things so to drive home that uh, dimension sri padas speaks the, ma- the the matter which it is said in the book that's how it is please understand one thing when you have an illogical attraction to someone illogical doesn't stand to logic 
we have to know that it has a basis in the past. Likewise, an illogical repulsion to someone. An illogical repulsion to someone. There is no cause to be repulsive to someone. It comes from the past. Likewise, attraction also comes from the past. And when these two come, we cannot go by those repulsions and attractions. We cannot. We have to see in the given circumstances what is the right thing to do. What is the right thing to do? And understand that these are some past strong associations which which do not have a validity in the present context. Let them be there. You have to be dispassionate by ascending yourself into the soul. That's how it is. Wow, it is two minutes past six. Hmm? So we close this session. If some questions emerge tomorrow, we talk. Otherwise, we go into general questions relating to discipleship. Whatever we would like to, as an interactive session. After the fire ritual, we, we do it at 9.30. Thank you for the... I hope the questions that emerged from the book are all answered. Because some came to me by mail and some you have asked now. If there are any more questions, tomorrow surely I will answer them. Thank you. Namaskar.